We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and you are listening to episode number 70, Start to Finish. And I'm Travis Sowers, and I am joined today by Tomi Tuovinen. Hello. So, funny story as to why you're not hearing David Seville this week, and I, I kind of have to lead with this one. So, early on in the week, Dave sends me an email and says, I may not be able to record on Wednesday. I've got a big deadline for work. I'm like, you know, that's not actually a big problem. I'm sure I could find a guest host. We'll figure something out. Then Tuesday, Dave emails me and says, you know what? Don't worry about the deadline. We're going to make this happen because the podcast is that important. Awesome. We'll record Wednesday night like we normally do, Wednesday at 10. So Kelsey and I go to bed at a pretty normal time on Tuesday night, you know, fall asleep about 1130. And then at two o'clock in the morning, the smoke detector goes off. Not like there's a fire in the house, but that battery beep, you know, the one where the battery wears out. Beep, beep, beep. So that, that one, it sounds just yeah. like that. So I have to run downstairs, get a ladder, go change the smoke detector, have some trouble falling back asleep. She has to get up early. I've got Marty and Jeff coming over for the team GP. So I had to do some housework, mow the lawn, vacuum the house, uh, streamed. I was incredibly grumpy. So anybody that was watching the stream on Wednesday, I'm sorry if I was grumpy and mean to you. And then about seven, we're like, we're really tired, but you got a podcast. It's like, we have the perfect idea. We'll take a nap. That's going to be great. So about seven o'clock, we lay down for a little nap. And then I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. And there you go. So I feel like kind of a gigantic idiot, and uh, I owe Dave a cup of coffee for sure. And I want to say a special thank you to Tommy for being willing to fill in on such short notice. So thank you very much for being here. You're welcome, buddy. Um, you have been a returning guest host enough that I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but let's take just a second to kind of plug your work that you do. Um, what are your Magic the Gathering credentials? What are my Magic the Gathering credentials? Uh, I stream on Thursdays and Saturdays on Twitch under the name of Icerock. Uh, I have one pro point for excellent for getting a high enough record at a, a paper GP, and uh, I'm all around uh, idiot playing all kinds of storm decks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I think of you. Um, so do check out Icerock's stream. Uh, this is somebody usually duo streams with his buddy Anti. Yes, Anti Hüttinen, my good good buddy. Ling I'm not from. Quite sure, I can say that one. <laughs> it, it took me a while to get Tommy down, but today we're going to discuss a couple different things. Uh, first, I do have GPDC coming up this weekend. So as you're listening to this as it's released this weekend, I will be at GPDC playing Team Sealed. So I want to talk a little bit about Team Sealed and how it works, and I think Tommy's actually going to be handy to chat with us about because he hasn't done a whole lot of it. Mm -hmm. uh, some experience with Two-Headed Giant, you said earlier. Very much experience with Twitter Giant Sealed. So, like, there's some similarities there. You're open a bunch of packs and building two decks. Uh, in Team Sealed, you're open a bunch of packs and building three. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to talk some about the speed of the format. We're going to talk about an article that Gabrielle Nassif wrote. Um, Marty linked that to me for, like, homework for the GP about some cards that he had underrated or overrated. And then Tommy's actually been a pretty big champion of the bread drafting philosophy in Dominaria. So I wanted to jump into that some, too. Uh, but first off, let's start with Team Sealed. That's the format of the GP this weekend. And how this works is you open 12 booster packs and then build three decks with three players. And it's kind of this weird hybrid of draft and sealed. So in normal sealed, uh, like have you, have you played a lot of normal sealed for Dominaria yet? I mostly limit myself to drafting, but I always play a certain amount of sealed that's like pre-release and then probably maybe let's say five to ten sealed events. Okay, so you've done enough. What does a sealed deck in Dominaria usually look like? 
pretty pretty heavy on the threes, fours, and fives from what I've seen. It's like not not very curvy at all, mm-hmm. and very very heavy on on bombs. So like I expect about half of them to splash for an off color bomb. Yeah. And that's been my experience, too, is something that's very slow, very grindy, mm. and usually pretty splash-intensive. Um, between Navigator's Compass, which is kind of bad fixing, but it A works. controversial card. Yeah, but I, I think we've seen that it's it's certainly playable in the sealed environment with enough card draw. Mm-hmm. But e- even if you don't like that, with Skittering Surveyors and Grow from the Ashes, it's not uncommon for people to splash and even play 18 lands in sealed. Now, in draft, I, I suspect you and Ling have gotten off to some weird splashes in draft as well. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen the worst of them. I saw one uh, where, oh God, what was it you were splashing? Uh, was that was that the, the Esper one splashing for Joda? Yes. Yep. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of comments about that Joda splash, but still worth it. Now, have you faced a lot of decks like that, and are most of the decks that you're drafting like that, or was that kind of an exception? Well, that was especially an exception, because that was like, we started off with Deferi, so it was like, oh, this is paid for, let's do something completely off the rails. But uh, I I do think the most decks, like the most decks I've run into, unless they're really aggressive, they are at least three colors. Like, everybody's splashing for something, because the bombs are so powerful, and they're often gold colored so I, I agree and i've bumped into a lot of that i've played some two color decks and i have played some aggro decks that weren't particularly interesting in splashing but a lot of decks are two and a half colors or solidly four colors from what i found mm. now what i'm interested in in team sealed and I, i'm gonna have to really dive in and build some pools we're doing that all day tomorrow for prep is i'm interested in with that are we going to be splashing in any of those three decks because usually <laughs> you're not even in splash heavy formats like because you're going to be playing you know all five colors you know even if each player plays a two color deck that's six colors we're going to have to Mm. share some of them usually you wouldn't be splashing very much there so i'm actually wondering how much this format is going to look like um draft which is normally how i would prepare for a team sealed event versus how much it'll look like just really focused draft decks I think there might be some amount of splashing because the cards people often splash for in this format, either they're straight removals, which we can disregard because you'll play those in the on-color decks, but the cards people often splash for are gold, like two colors or more. So like you're looking for like, uh, let's say, Ariel, the uh, the Windgrace Night Lord thing. That's a black-white card, which you will splash for in a black or white deck, but what are the odds that you will make a straight black-white deck in that? Or Tachiova, that's a green-blue card, which often people don't play green-blue because it's not a very not a very powerful color combo in this format, but you will always splash for that. So I think the same might apply to Team Seal, where you'll build like a red-white deck and a, and a green-black deck and a blue-white deck, and then you're like, well, we have this Ariel Wind of, Grace of Wind Grace, I can't even remember the card's name, and you're like, well, we don't have a black-white deck, but I'll put this in my blue-white deck. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, Marty and Jeff had built some pools and sent me an image of one that was splashing for Teferi. And I was like, obviously you're going to play Teferi, but my initial reaction was, why not just play white-blue? Without seeing the whole pool, I can't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But I I think there's actually something to that. If the gold colors line up perfectly where they're the colors we want to play anyway, obviously we don't need to splash. But like, that's a perfect example. I'm not leaving something like Ariel out of the deck. Uh, in order to do that. So I, I, I think we may end up with something that looks a little bit more similar to draft. Um, a lot of folks will ask me, if you're preparing for a team sealed GP, why wouldn't you just play sealed? And the, the reason why is like, in a normal sealed tournament, you get six packs and build one deck. Here we're getting 12 to build three. So what we really end up with is generally speaking decks that function more like a draft deck than a sealed deck. They function kind of like good archetypes. Um, what are the archetypes I need to be aware of off the top of your head for, for going into this, like solid draft, day in and day out archetypes? Because I, I know like green splash a color or two is certainly one of them, and then black green saffrolings. But what else have you seen be like a good one? Well, I think 
for me and what I've from what I've faced, I think the most powerful straight up archetype is just blue white skies. And I expect that to be a deck in a lot of lot of your opponent's pools and hopefully yours as well. And another one which is more of an outlier, but also like it's it's an inc incredibly powerful archetype, but it doesn't often come together is blue red wizards. Yeah. Because you really need the payoff cards to make that happen, right? Yep. What are we looking for for that? Like the Bounce Wizard, for sure? For it to be a, a Wizard's deck, you probably need the Adele's? We just call Adele? her Adele. Adele, yeah. That is like that is the prime card that you need for it to be a real Wizard's deck. Otherwise, you'll just have, you know, a blue-red stuff that happens to have wizards in it because like you don't you don't need a reason to play the the mana warlock you'll just yeah. put it in all your blue decks and oh I'm... mana warlock you haven't heard of that one i haven't heard that that's so good there you go okay. you learn something new every day we've got to we've got a new nickname hmm. and then how did how do you feel I, I i think i know but how do you feel about red in this format i've been thoroughly unimpressed like I think red red has the most consistent removal in this format. Of course it can't kill big things, but like the most things you want to kill are like four fours or something along those lines, you know, the the, the average bomb of this format. So like the red removal lines up very well, but the creatures are super underwhelming. So I've for the most part, aside from the, the obvious uh red is a joke sort of things going on, I've come to like play non-red decks that might splash for just like uh, the fiery intervention or you know goblin barrage or just a good removal spell okay that's fair i i think i got a little skewed initially in this format because i began drafting red white aggressive decks and was winning a lot mm. and i think part of that was aggro is viable here but i don't think it's an aggro format i think there were a lot of people playing at the release events and there were a lot of people who hadn't figured out the format yet and were maybe being a little ambitious with their mana bases, and I was able to run them over. Mm. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's an aggro deck somewhere in our pool. But like as you're talking about it, I'd, I'd probably rather devote the white to that blue-white skies decks instead of devote it to a red deck. So it may be that like two colors share red for removal if it's deep enough. We'll have to see. It, it, it took me a while to recognize that Baloth Gorger is just better than the Cyclops. Like, initially, mm -hmm. I wasn't mm -hmm. putting that together because I was so happy to see a 4-4 four, for four, 4 in red. It was like, it's just a worse card than the Baloth Gorger because oh, it has sure. drawback. Like, yeah. So I, I think I was overvaluing that card a little bit to begin with. Too. Oh, there's, there's, there's one story that I, actually, now that we're here, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about the, 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 the Cyclops. Is that when you look at it that way, like when you first see the cards, the four 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 four, that sounds amazing. It's got some weird downside. Who cares? It's a four 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 four. And then when you play with it, it feels so much worse than it is because the downside is actually real. But what I ha what I came across is that if I if I flip it around, if I think it if I think of the card as a completely different thing, this is not a four 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 four. This is a red pillar field ox with an upside. I came to appreciate the card so much more. It's like it's a it's a two four. Read the card. It's a it's a four minute two four. But if it if if it like if it's blocked when it's alone or if it's unblocked, it gets plus two o. And like that gave me the thing that's like, well, I do enjoy a pillar field ducks, and this is an upside. So uh, yes, please. It's also really fun to use with instant speed removal, which Red has a good bit of. Like, oh, for sure. I had sure. attacked with it before and had people block with two three threes. Mm. And because it's not a when it gets blocked, it gains this. It's just sort of a state-based thing. Is that right? Yeah, it's a static ability, which have they have really increased the amount of static abilities instead of triggered things relating to combat. Like we had the the one one that when it's attacking, it has plus two o, the mm. the vampire thing. A Dento Vanguard. Yeah, like they've had a lot of these static abilities appear nowadays, and it's I think it's good, so we don't have to worry about triggers anymore. Yeah, that's that's certainly a good thing. But it's always fun when they double block with a pair of three threes, and you're like, ship and fire your dude, eat the other one. Gotcha! Oh, gotcha, real good. Gotcha. Mm. So, as far as the deck construction, like, what do you do when you're sitting down to build a two-headed giant 
pool? Because you, how, how many two-headed giant pools have you built? Uh, let's say fifty. Okay, so a good number, a good number. Yeah, because we like. There's this this one friend of mine here, uh, who, like, we go to every single two-headed giant pre-release that we can, and that like usually means one, sometimes two. So it, it, as long as there has been a pre-release where I could play two-headed giant, that's what I've been doing. Plus all the extra times when we would get a, a special chance to do it. So. How excited are you guys for Battle Bond? Just as a very, side note. very, very, very excited. Okay. For both so sides, you... also the drafting. That sounds sweet. Yeah, that sounds fun too. So when we're building that, we get twelve packs for two-headed giant pools. Uh, eight. Eight. Like okay. Because it's a two people only. You get twelve for three people. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is actually a lot like Team Sealed. I've never well, played two-headed giant in paper. Yeah, that's like the official number, but obviously for pre-releases you will get two pre-release boxes, so you get way more boosters than you should. Okay. But so, like, how do you guys go through and begin to build a deck as you're arguing, like, arguing through this, working through this? Mm. Well, we usually start with just yeah, of course, go through the cards as a regular sealed pool, remove the total garbage ones, the Cathars, blessings, or whatnot, put those aside, don't worry about them at all, and then. We usually take a look at, like, we start off the top end, take look at the bombs, the the specific really good cards we'd like to play. Let's say we open a Muldrotha, we will build a Siltai deck, you know? Uh, but then, then we have, like, when we have sort of this idea of what kind of cards we could build around in our decks, the next thing we take into, into account is the, like, the play style that would fit us as two players uh the way we usually do is because you know i've been doing it with the same person for so long i can i can almost do it off the top of my head i'm the one who plays cancel and he's the one who plays a four 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 okay <laughs> right so it's like we usually go because this is a two in a giant format you don't want to you don't want to play aggro decks so we do a controlish deck and we do a mid-range deck like straight like you, you imagine jund beats you know it's got big like creatures Jund. it's got terminates like that's the one thing we do so we like we try to find these usually say that there's there's only mid-range in in like limited right mm -hmm. well we try to find the 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 most mid-range mid-range deck we can make and then the controlling mid-range deck that we can make and we build those two decks and we give them to the the player who is more comfortable playing that particular deck and then we play that's actually not too far off from how we've done team sealed in the past uh, i've done four team sealed gps i have cashed three of them and top aided one which isn't quite as exciting as you would think the top four are invited to the pro tour and we finished fifth <coughs> on breakers uh, we were happy about it. It's a great finish, but uh, it, it wasn't quite where we wanted to be. But styles certainly come into account there. The way that, that we have... Uh, I've played with Martin before, and I know that Jeff is also a very good Team Sealed player. I met him at, at a Team Sealed GP. But the way that, that I've done this in the past, even with various teammates, is like establish who likes playing aggro, who likes playing control, who likes playing mid-range. Because that's probably the three decks you're going to end up with. And again, it'll be an aggressive mid-range deck, a mid-range mid-range deck, and a controlling mid-range deck, because every limited deck is mid-range. Um, and the, the, we build the decks very similar to what Tommy is describing, but the, the thing that I found to be super helpful is to just build 20-card decks and then hand it to the person who's going to play it and let them finish it out. Because mm -hmm. like, I, I know Jeff, for example, has a tendency to play 16 lands way more often than I do. And like... I know that going in, and it's not a point that I need to be arguing with him about when we've got five minutes left to register our decks. If he thinks it's a 16-land deck and wants to go for it, like, I just need to trust him at that point. You know, and if, if I think that you know, the upside of Banalish Honor Guard is better than the 3-1 in a particular deck, I don't need to argue with Martin for five minutes about that. Like, just let me play whichever two-drop I want. So, like, that's been a big strategy for us going forward is to get to close to 20-card decks 
and then just hand those cards to the person that's going to play it and say, finish out the last three that you want. Hmm, that's interesting. We usually end up doing it the sort of the other, the opposite way in that we first establish that, oh, I'm playing, I'm playing these colors. I'm going to build the deck out of these. And then I end up with, well, I have 30 playables and then I have to fit in some lands in here. And then I give that pile to my friend and be like, here, cut some cards for me. <laughs> okay. That's actually a really good way to do it, but like I'd imagine in Two-Headed Giant, you're going to be playing four of five colors, so you can probably get away with that, where in the Team Sealed, mm -hmm. we're going to be playing six of five colors, so we kind of have to build the decks together because we're going to have to share at least one of the colors. Mm -hmm. So like I d I've done these in, in core sets where like there really weren't gold cards or splashing, um, and we really had to decide like what color are we going to share and split between the two of us. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So for me, I want to dive more into Dominaria and kind of talk about specifically this format. Uh, I've been jamming a good bit of Dominaria draft on Moto. I did it when it was out on Arena as well. Um, talk to me some about the speed of the format. Where did you think it was going to be? Where did it actually turn out? Right. So at the very beginning of the format, since I haven't actually played in an older set that had like real kicker in it, I, did, I, I didn't play when it was around originally. I didn't play when it was in, uh, uh, what was it, like, a, Rav, around Ra original Ravnica or something? I didn't play original Ravnica. I played Invasion, so I've played with it yeah. before. So, well, well yeah, I, I haven't actually played in a set that had Kicker before, but I did have the concept that Kicker cards tend to lead to a slower format, so that's what I based my original assumption on that Dominaria will will be a slower format than average. Also, seeing seeing cards like 2-mana 1-3s all over the place led me to believe that this will be a slightly slowed-down format. And that, for the most part, to me, has held true. This this appears to be more of a, more of a like, slower, grindier, bomb-heavy format where, like, the average common just doesn't doesn't matter. That's fair. Like, the average common is going to trade with your opponent's average common, and it's probably going to come down to, can you get a two-for-one, or do you have a bomb in your deck? Hmm. Does getting a two-for-one even matter if I blow you out nope. with a combat trick? Do you care? Nope. So that that's not what this is about. Like, me getting nope. that value, you're just like, whatever, I, I'll keep drawing until I get to the cards that matter. Yep. That's, that's what I've been... Uh, that That's, like, one of my problems with the format is that like you, you, you basically divinated three times. I, I don't care. Here's a, here's a six-six flying hexproof trample creature that you can't deal with. Okay, so we're looking to win with haymakers, is what we're talking about here. Yeah, for the most part. Okay, and the fact that I had some good aggro decks early, and I've had a couple here and there, <laughs> is aggro viable, or do I need like a perfect storm to be going in on aggro? It is viable. Like, definitely is viable. Especially when people are dirtling around with their skittering surveyors and whatnot. But you definitely have to be aware as you, as you like, draft and build your deck that people will be playing 2-mana 1-3s and 3-mana and 1-2s that they will happily trade off for your 2-2s two or whatnot. Yeah. So there's, there's going to be some speed bumps. Hmm. But I think generally speaking, you're right. We've got a bit of a slower format where aggro is still viable, but it, it's not anywhere near Origins or Gatecrash levels of shenanigans. Oh, no. <laughs> is, it, is it Battle for Zendikar slow? Yeah, I think so. Most of the times I end up with like 10 lands in play, a couple of them being discarded in the graveyard and still like no, no end for the game in sight. Yeah, and... I, as I initially evaluated the kicker cards, I was talking about them as being modal cards, and they are, but I think the way I was thinking about them was potentially a little bit off. Like, it's mm -hmm. not a two-mana 1-3 that can get better late game. It's a six-mana 1-3 that returns a card that you can play in an emergency on turn two. I agree. Definitely agree. That's That applies to almost every single kicker card, except maybe Baleth Gorger. Yeah. And maybe maybe the Drake if you're stuck on three mana. Oh yeah, sure. Drake's fine. Just playing it as, as a wind Drake. Yep. But most of those one threes, you really want to look at your curve with those as six drops and and not be, have because like my my thought was this will just be a good top deck later if I'm flooded. But I think you actually kind of need to build around that stuff, mm -hmm. which which leads me to kind of the next point. 
I had been solidly in the camp of this is a 17 land format. Mm-hmm. And chat talked me into trying out an 18 land deck today. And it was actually really good. Now, I did have two mana sinks in that deck. I had Ariel and Slimefoot. It was a good deck. But I, I had a previous deck that had two mana sinks. They weren't as good, but they were mana sinks. It was a Shade and a Slimefoot. And I played, mm. 16, uh, played 17 lands. And I ended up honestly getting mana screwed with both of those decks. Now, that's not much of a sample size. But I've heard reports that a lot of other drafters that I respect are saying this is an 18-land format. Is this an 18-land format? It's an interesting thought, because I've, I've, for the most part, at least, again, drafter, so draft, I would, I would, I would keep to draft being a 17-land deck unless you have a good reason to do otherwise. But then again, like, if I just reflect upon my average draft deck, it usually ends up being like 17 lands, a skittering surveyor, a divination. Like, it, you could count it as more than 17 sources of mana. Sure. And th- this one that I drafted, one of the, the non lands was a Grow from the Ashes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was playing skittering surveyors, and I, I found myself even playing that in two color decks. Like, the card's just good. But even then, when I played it and drew the land, I just always felt like I wanted more lands. Now, it feels awful to flood out, so I'm wondering if maybe I should be thinking of Divination and Bark Dargan as, like, flood insurance rather than actual card draw. Because I'm used to using Divination, like, okay, I'm stuck on three lands, let's fire off the Divination and get some more lands. Whereas here, it may be the other way around. I just want all the lands and fire off the Divination to get more action. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll probably have to try that out more. I think it's worth a go because I'd been in the same boat of like, okay, Grow from the Ashes, you know, functionally replaces a land so I can play 17. Or I've got a Scurveyor, so I'll just play 17. It'll be fine. And I I think I may actually want one more. I'm going to have to play some more games to determine that for sure. But like, do you you feel like your decks have been working at 17? For the most part, yeah. Like, uh, they are still heavy on threes, threes, fours, and especially fives. But I usually don't end up playing... Like I don't, I don't have a lot of mana sinks or a lot of kicker spells or a lot of more than the cards that cost more than six mana. So it's like, if I don't have multiple divinations, I actually don't have much use for the lands beyond six. I've kind of ended up that way too. But like, I was mm. playing eighteen lands by the end of Battle for Zendikar. If if I was, you know, not in white black or something, mm-hmm. and I certainly did it a lot in sealed. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to give this some more thought. That's still a, a real question, but like when a lot of drafters that I'm respect that I respect are saying you should play 18, kind of regardless, then I'd, I'd, I'd take note of that. Mm, for sure. So next up on my list was this article by Nassif. Uh, Marty sent me this to look at for homework and said, read this, let's talk about it, and kind of see you know what cards were overrated and underrated. Um, the first one he mentioned was Sorcerer's Wand. I'm, I'm not really ready to say that this is playable for me. D- do you have an opinion on the wand? Have you done anything with this? Personally, no. But I have seen it in a lot of decks. And for me, the experience has been if, if my opponent is not in Wizards, it's a complete blank. If my opponent isn't Wizards, it's a pretty nice Lava Axe. Okay. But I like I still rate the card very low because it is not a colorless equipment. It is a blue-red specific card that only goes in that one deck. And even then, I'd I'd probably take a lot of cards over it, even if I'm already into wizards. Like it's it's not even an instant or sorcery, so it's not gonna interact with your your uh, Adelas or whatever. Yeah. Now, he mentioned here that moving it around is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might go towards decks that are playing more lands, just having something to sink your mana into. Because functionally, at that point, you're making, you know, every three mana you tap deal one damage or potentially two damage to your opponent. Like, is is a mana sink just so good if you're playing 18 lands that it becomes worth it, even if you're not wizards there? Hmm, that's interesting. Like, if I... Let's see, if I was playing, like, an 18 land... Sepperling deck with a slime food and a sorcerer's wand. Hmm, that could lead to something. But then again, I would just 
probably make more sapling so sure but you might not draw the slime foot so like it's, right it's one of those scenarios like i've had a lot of games that go to a board stall and you've got your opponent at you know somewhere between five and ten and like if i could just slip a sorcerer's wand on top of my deck i'd be pretty interested in it there so sure it, you know he's saying it's it's underrated it it can be better than we all thought it was and still not be great right exactly so I, I think that may be where that is. How about uh, Gitu Lava Runner? Uh, still garbage. I have not ever died to it. <laughs> now, I have put the plus two, plus one Menace card on this on turn two a few times. <laughs> That's cute. It's cute. It gets a little better as the game goes on, and it, it mm -hmm. can help run them over. Um, again, he's saying that it was initially underrated but maybe playable. I had it at, you know, barely playable. Is your red bias getting you here, or is the card just not good? I could, you know, you can always try to get me to say something, but I'm, I'm firmly, I firmly believe that this is not the red bias talking. This card is garbage, and I will never put this in any of my red decks. Okay, okay, okay. Now we know how you really feel. Um, I'm kind of in the same camp with him on the next one with Lanawar Elves. This is better than I thought it was going to be. Really? Well, I have news for you. I think this is worse than I thought it would be. Really? Alright, walk me through it. Well, the thing is, I rated this super high, because, like, the last the last time I remember there was, like, uh, actually a very similar curve for, for green decks was, uh, it was a core set, and it had Elvish Mystic and a 2 green green for a 4-4 four four beast. Okay. Like, you know, this sounds very familiar. You go, you go one one the tap for green into a four format of four four. I I can't remember which course that it was, but like, but I like, remember that format. The the single mana ramp was so extremely important to that one like any green deck that you took the card over almost anything. But then in in like in Dominaria. Uh, partially due to the like the slowness of the format, I've found the single mana acceleration to not matter that much compared to what it could in a a more more like slightly faster more more medium speed format. So it's like unless you're going on the play, turn one elf, turn two grow from the ashes, turn three five drop, something like this then you're not really gaining that much advantage from the single mana acceleration. But it's still really powerful. But like, for me, the, the direction was I put this at the very top of the green cards and it's gone down slightly to just like somewhere around the top 10 green cards. Okay. We've actually had, I think we're actually in the same place with it. I had it in the middle and I've moved it up to the top 10. Right. My thought was, like, yes, if you're on the play turn one with a Llanowar Elf, it's absurd. If I top deck it later, it kind of sucks. And that's mm -hmm. always the danger with any sort of ramp spell. But I, I look at it similar to, like, a Thoughtseize in Limited. Like, it, it's obviously better than that because it can attack, it can block, it can ramp you. But mm -hmm. I don't usually play discard spells in Limited because it's, it's such a disaster to top deck them. And they may not even be good when you draw them. Like, mm. I've had Llanowar Elves in decks where the, the curve just worked out such that it never did anything. It just kind of sat there and chump blocked before I died. But I, mm. I think we've actually ended up in the same place. Yeah. How about uh, Gitu Chronicler? Mm. Well, this was this was a funny story. It's a red card. But when we when we first saw this in the spoiler with, with Ling, my co-host, uh, we were both like, this might be the first set where we actually like to play red because red gets a defensive two drop. Can you can you imagine a format where red gets a defensive two drop? When when has this happened last? It's I, I don't remember one. Right. So it was like this is an amazing thing to happen and then like on the top of it this card is actually pretty good. Like the effect for for this or the 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 which for the black one that might makes you discard cards like these were both cards that were like i like one threes for two this is an upside of being super relevant aside from turn two i'll play this this is great and i think the the place for me where i get to chronicler ended up with was about as exactly as i thought it was like a pretty good common okay 
So, th- th- like, you, you, you rated this properly, basically. I, I happen to agree with you. I think Get to Chronicler's great. Like, I'm, I'm kind of excited to fifth pick one of these after I've got a decent red removal spell and some green creatures or maybe even some divinations. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Howling Golem was another one that I dismissed initially, and I've been picking a little bit higher. And I, I think it's just because two threes are kind of okay in this format. Mm, I have the same. Yeah, I, I did rate it a bit lower first because of the... Well, it it is sort of a downside, depending on the matchup. But then, like, I've come to appreciate this card when I have a deck that is clearly, like, more powerful in terms of raw card quality. So it's like, I, I've, I've put this in most of my sideboards, and then when my opponent is playing an aggressive deck, I bring it in, because the card draw is way more advantageous to me than it is for you. Plus, I get, like you said, 2-3 is a really good body in this format for blocking. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that's how you break it. If your opponent's playing something aggressive, and you're playing something mid-range or controlling, like, they're going to draw another 2-mana two 2-2 two two off of this, and you're going to draw a bomb or some card draw or a removal spell and then it's actually going to be relevant on the board to trade for something. Um, I'm, act- I'm also with him in the same camp as Befuddle. I initially, in the set review, dismissed this as basically unplayable trash, and then mm. I found myself actually quite happy to have it in most of my blue decks. I've actually learned, like, I've learned to like effects like this for the, the minus four, minus zero type of things ever since... Shadows, yeah, shadows over Inishan, and that was like that's basically befuddle, but it costs four mana instead of a three, but you can play it in two parts. That's pretty pretty close-ish to what this card is also doing. Like I played scrutiny in any blue deck, regardless of the clues I have in that one or the clue synergy. But on the other hand, I haven't actually played. I think I cast befuddle once or maybe twice. <laughs> I I've probably resolved it. 10 times and it, it does it, it does exactly what Jason Scrutiny did I mm-hmm. was initially like well it costs one more and there's no clue synergy and blah 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 poo pooed it and it's like nah the card's just fine I'm not saying you should first pick it or it's a bomb but it's won me a combat which is what you want to do with combat tricks and then I draw a card I also managed to kill an opponent with it in a, a deck that had a lot of wizards and an Adele so like mm-hmm. it, it's certainly going to be good there um so I, I, I think if you've got this in your unplayable card pile, you should probably move it over. Hmm. Um, I'm going to skip through some of these. Um, sure. Because he'd, he'd mentioned Syncopate, but I think we've all figured out Syncopate's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Lanawar Scout, I ended up playing this for the first time today because I saw it in this article, and I was actually kind of okay with it. Yeah, it's still unimpressive, though. Like Ling liked this card a lot. This is one of Ling's favorites, but that was that's due to his experience in the pre-release. But I'm still not high on this. It's like it's probably one of the worst one threes for two. If I get to twos, I'd, I'd probably play almost any of the other ones. Yeah, I was in a situation where I didn't get to choose. Like I still want to have yeah. three-ish two drops in my deck. It did get me an extra land once. But for the most part, this was a 1-3 that just kind of sat there and held back stuff. Yeah. Uh, he's suggesting in the article that you should combo it with decks with uh, Bark Dargan or Divination, which I, mm-hmm. I think is pretty reasonable. That's fair. Now, he said that he overrated Skittering Surveyor, and I was actually very interested in your opinion on this. He says this one wow. comes with an asterisk. In Sealed, it was the common you hoped to open the most. I had it too high in my pick order. It's still very good. But I, I don't think it's as good in draft as it is in sealed. All right, I have. Wait, how many words is that? That's seven, seven words. All right, here it comes. I have a first pick, skittering surveyor. I have two. So what he's suggesting is that maybe we shouldn't be. I disagree. <laughs> okay, why? Sell me on why surveyor is so great. Okay, I disagree with him because, like we like this. This is exactly goes back to what they've been like. What the other people have been saying that eighteen land format. This is the extra land I'll play in my decks, which I've been extremely happy with. In in addition to that, the the like the stat line is rather good for like a three drop that replaces itself. This blocks separatings, it did like trades for the hasty three ones. There's there's a bunch of two ones in this format that you can trade with. 
and in addition to that, it really helps with the splash. Like you've played it, like you said, you played this in two color decks. Well, if I get to like increase the the mana the color sources in my deck by three by just having this reasonable three drop that replaces itself, that sounds an like an amazing deal to me because now I get to play my delis. Not Adelis, I don't splash for that. Uh, Ayeli, or some other like gold bomb that I want to play by just playing two planes in my black deck or something. Yeah, I, I think this card's still very good. I, I'm struggling with whether I should first pick this in draft or not. Obviously, it would need to be a weak pack. Like you're taking a bomb over this, right? Yes. Are you taking really good removal over this? Yes. Okay, so I, I think you've you've probably ended up in the same spot that he has. Is like, you're not going to first pick this, but it, unless the pack's relatively weak, you're still mm. taking bombs removal and evasion over this. No, no, actually, that's this is a a really unique exception to the bread rule in that I will take this over some evasive creatures, like if I'm already in blue, but this is like an otherwise un unexciting pack, let's say there's a uh, a the Sphinx in it. Mm -hmm. I have two blue cards, I know I'm playing blue, I would still probably take Skittering Surveyor over the Sphinx, just for the fact that I will... That's just me though, like I will end up splashing. That's yeah. just a fact. <laughs> So, you know, pre-condition pre on that. I want to tempt you here. You've got two good blue cards. We know we're in blue. You get past a pack with a Drake and a Surveyor. Surveyor. Really? Probably okay. Surveyor. Unless I'm, like, if I'm in the mood that, okay, I'm going to play Blue-White Skies, then I'll take the Drake, because Drake's a really good card. But if I have, like, let's say I have a Time of Ice, and I have, what's another blue, good blue card? Uh, well, let's, let's say I, I have yeah. It's like I have a Drake and a and a and a Time of Ice. I'll probably take a Skittering Surveyor over a second Drake at that point. Like okay. I I still like this card a lot, and it's been really good for me. So I, I just can't say no. I'm with him on the next one too, uh, which is Juggernaut. I initially thought this was going to be a very high pick because it's colorless. It goes in every deck, and it's huge. Um, mm. But it it's kind of not been really good for me. I agree. It's been super unimpressive, but I think that's that's mostly due to what I've I've recognized in this format is that there's there's a lot of three twos that people play, and there's a lot of two threes that people play, and this 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 comes to the, the three twos. There's like there are so many medium three twos floating around, and it just crashes into them and trades. Yeah, like I, that's not really what I want for my four drop. Where are you and Auntie at on main decking artifact slash enchantment hate? A bit of bit of like on the edge. If our removal suit is weak, then we will play one main deck. If our removal suit is already powerful to begin with, then we'll just sideboard it if we really want more terminates. Okay, I I've come into the the firm camp of main deck of uh, broken bond or whatever the white one was. Invoke the divine if you've mm -hmm. got it, because what I've found is usually you'll have a target and sometimes you'll have a really good one. I had initially thought like it wasn't worth disenchanting the sagas because they've already gotten value out of it, and I was just wrong. Like the fact that they've already gotten value doesn't mean anything. They're going to get it twice more if you don't kill it. Right. All right. Talk to me about. That was my alarm going off, letting me know that after the podcast, I need to put on the uh, <laughs> crock pot. So if you heard a duck on the podcast, that was not your imagination. <laughs> Mishra's self replicator. It's a silly jank card. What have you done with it? Uh, 16 copies. Okay. Because I knew if there's anybody that's made a million copies of Mishra's <laughs> Self-Replicator, it's going to be you and Auntie. Is it actually good? That's a, that's a tough one to answer. I think I'm going to say, for the most part, no. Okay. But you could end up, like, you will end up in situations where it's great, but, like, the, the body is super unimpressive. So unless you're in, let's say you got a, a really big board stall and you have like, nobody's doing anything for the next five turns and I have all these artifacts in my hand. Yeah, I, I want this on my board to make 16 more. But for, for like the average, in, in the average deck, this is not, this is not the bomb you're looking for. 
because it's a five and a two two. Okay, so if, if we're at the team GP and we've got a pool that has a lot of artifacts that are playable, are we putting this in? That would depend on your like what what the other deck looks like looks like blah blah blah. Yeah. What what the deck otherwise looks like like if you have if you already have five amazing bomb five drops, probably not. If you're short on on like, if if you want a card that would break a board stall, if like if your deck feels like it's gonna be the mid range of the mid ranges, or maybe the controlling ones, sure, probably try to fit this in, but like I'd say you should not be afraid of citing this out, if you feel like it's like you're not gonna get to turn fourteen where you get actually get to make very many copies of this. Okay. Makes sense. It's really, really slow. And the, the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on with his list was legendary sorceries. What has been your experience with these? Pretty bad. Okay. Like, it, my experience hasn't been bad, but the cards have been pretty bad. Okay. They are very, very swingy. If you got an Inferno and you have enough legendaries, you'll play it, but... Like I've I've seen people jam Urza's Runes Blast indexed with two or three legendaries, and then at the end of the game they were like, "Well, if I had ever drawn a legendary, I would have blasted you away with this." But it's like you had you had two to draw. You're you're just like blanking yourself by having this in your in your hand. Yeah, it feels like a very swingy thing. Like. How many should I actually have to play these things? Because I know we're going to open some, and like hmm. I've been absolutely blown out by these, and I've killed opponents that had a couple cards in their hand. And I'm like, I know what you're holding. It's that Immolating Inferno, and you can't cast it. Hmm. That's a hard, hard thing to evaluate. I think I would start with five or more legendaries before I even, even consider putting one of these in. Could we think of it like three, like it's a splash card? No. Why no, can I not this, do that? All right. Like that's, y you can do that with a regular splash card because no one's ever going to touch your lands. If you have three lands in your deck, when you draw the first one, you will have that for the rest of the game. Legendary is not so much. If you draw your legendary, it's probably going to die immediately. And then you have to draw the next one before you can even consider casting this. It's it's a shame because they look really cool, but they're pretty fun. And I I was wrong. There's one more card I wanted to mention here. It's a rare. It's haphazard bombardment. Um, I had initially dismissed this as complete garbage, and after playing with it some, I think there might be something here. Right. Well, I have a I have opinions about this card. For the most part, they start with I respect it. Because it is, like, the effect over a long game is rather powerful. And especially if you have this in multiples, it gets pretty pretty ridiculous. But there's there's one caveat. caveat. I hate random effects on my cards. This, like, that's one of the things we discussed about, like, Hearthstone. Like, it's fine in Hearthstone because it's, in, in like, in, integral to the game that there are random effects on, on the cards you play and in magic the randomness is in the resources you get but if i have that randomness in both ends i get really sad like it that's i don't i don't want to see this card in magic to be an effective card it's fine if they're like for fun or you know for commander play there's a couple of really fun random cards that i enjoy having in commander games not not for regular limited no thanks Generally speaking, I agree with you. Like, again, Hearthstone has to balance that because they have no mana system, so they have to have random effects on the cards or there's no variance. Right. Whereas Magic does that through the, the land system. Um, so generally, I'm with you. And then I just jammed this in a deck, and I was like, you know what, if there's four permanent... Like, just blowing up your, your three creatures that aren't your best creature is good enough if mm -hmm. I'm going to have time. And as it turns out, you quite often have time. So I was relatively yeah. happy playing this. Don't play it when your opponent's got two good creatures and lands. 
Like that's when you're like asking for the variance <laughs> to work out against you, and you know, stone rain somebody at eight mana is just not worth it. Wait till they've got at least four creatures in play before you play right. it out, because that's what you want to blow up. But if you can do that with it, the card actually seems fine. Yeah, there's actually uh, one quick story about uh, my experience with the bombardment is that, like, th this is one of the things that I I really hated to do with the card, is that. We're we're at eight life. This this actually happened on stream, so there's a recording of this somewhere out there. We're at eight life. Our opponent has a uh, it was the knight, the black knight. There was a white permanent on board, and it had the the cat wings on it. So okay. it was it was a four three flyer. So it it was a two turn clock to killing us, right? Board ground is is stalled, so we're not like winning that way. So our card, the card we drew is the haphazard bombardment. And we have to play it, obviously, because we're dead in two turns. And then the card choices that we make. Uh, this this card, since it's a red card, do you know what's... Yeah. It cannot hit enchantment. We were like, alright, this is actually going to save us, because it's got a 50-50 chance of removing the, the ability for the creature to fly, right? Like, that was the first thought when we drew the card, and then we, when we played it, it was like, well, we can't select the aura, so, uh, alright, select the creature, select, what well, I don't remember, it was like, uh, creature, his two blue sources, and his other creature, like, he didn't have a lot of things going on, so, but we had to play this, so we, we chose two lands. Completely disregarding your previous advice of not doing that. Well, you had to. You didn't have a choice. Then <laughs> we didn't have a choice, right? But it was like, all right, it's it's out there. He had, he's got, he's got basically like two turns. We had no other way of interacting with this creature. I think we were also out of removal, so we couldn't top deck anything else. So it was like, all right, we have a twenty-five percent chance of basically ending this game this turn, and if if it doesn't hit. Then next turn we have a 33% chance of ending the game again on the spot. And I was like, those odds tell me that we are losing this game. In like if you're thinking the, like the average game of magic where there's no not such randomness going around, it's like we are straight dead because we can't defeat this creature. But now we get this very random chance that has like neither player can affect the choice of what's happening, what's gonna happen, it's gonna be completely random which player wins this game. Like, we basically said that, let's flip a coin, whoever whoever gets heads wins. That's what we said. Well, of course we hit it on the very first chance, it was like, one in four and we won the game. And that, that, like, that was like, I had no, I had like no reason, I had no, no way, no, no, like, I, it was not my place to win this game by just flipping a coin that felt really bad yeah and that that's what high variance cards do like mm. they pop up every once in a while blood mist was a similar card from way back in eldritch moon and i, I remember seeing it do similar things like win me games that i shouldn't win and cost mm. me games that i shouldn't win but I, I i do think that variance is an important part in magic i just i do wish they'd keep it to the mana mechanics Yes. Like, I get what you're saying. You won, but you felt like you didn't deserve it, or you didn't decide for it to happen. It just sort of happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 do, I, I don't like this card design space. Usually they're not good. Like, you'll see these random cards in yeah. the set, and they're not actually good. They're just there for commander players, like you mentioned. This one, I think, happens to be okay. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. And we've got just a little bit left, and I wanted to take a minute to ask you about bread. This is an old draft strategy that says you should basically draft bombs, removal, evasion, attack, defense. It's kind of like what the old acronym stood for. And a lot of people have abandoned this in, in, in recent years for the idea that efficiency is much more important. Like in a world where removal costs five mana instead of two, and you can get four mana four fours or you know four mana five fives in some cases that you need to stick to those efficient threats. Um, but you've said you you and Ling have had some success drafting with the bread strategy in mind here. Yeah, well, it all stems back to when at the beginning of the format we had a lot of like issues finding and like grasping reasons to why are we losing this game it's like there was there's there's been a lot of games where we were like oh we're we're solidly ahead we're slowly chipping away at the life total with a bird or something and then 
one card or two cards completely fl flip the tables over and then we're like we're oh we're getting we're gonna die in two turns what 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 happened so like we were really confused as to what what like makes this format click and it was it was difficult to evaluate because of what i what i now understand is the fact that this format has the consistency of a core set but the bombs of our devastation which is something you said earlier which i i remember and was like i i completely agree with it is that our devastation needed to have these bomb cards to get the variance of a game back to where it's supposed to be when the cycling made all the decks extremely consistent mm -hmm. so now now we'd like we'd like end up in a format where bombs are incredibly powerful and if you can't deal with the bomb you're gonna you're just gonna die they're can't do anything you can't race it you can't like otherwise combat it not make it attack you or anything like that there's so the thing we ended up at was like all right let's let's try this silly idea from from 2004 or whatever bread slightly modified but still still kind of bread in at least the very like the bread part of bread 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 just bread first thing you take take you, you take the bombs that win you the game. Like, cards that ask your opponent, do you have the removal card? If no, you die. And the next thing you take is a removal spell. Like, th this is why I like Skittering Surveyor, is that if I take Skittering Surveyor, I can take whatever removal spell gets passed to me, right? So I need, I need a card that will kill my opponent's B card, the bomb. And after that, we come to just like the usual evasive creatures flying whatever but like this led me to change from my original draft style which was basically closer to take the bomb first and then we get like you get a you get a drake or a sphinx or you know one of those cards that people really highly pick because they're super efficient and you get a scry too so you got like all these good effects when it enters the battlefield and whatnot and then take the removal spell to flipping the round to jam to like eviscerate take it if you if you're not in black you splash it because you need you need to kill their bombs and like that ended up me at all right let's just let's just st stick to bread see if we can make that work with like the small exceptions of skittering surveyor is technically a bomb in this sense because it enables you to play any removal spell you get but otherwise you get your uh, you get your Tachiovas as bomb, and then you'll take your Eviscerate, and then you'll figure out how to make that work. So could we maybe call it bombs removal and offense? Offense is interesting because then it can be bro. <laughs> Do you know how to draft, bro? Bombs removal and other. Bomb removal other. Okay, it works. We've broken the format right here, ladies and gentlemen. Right. But like this this also led me to taking a lot of cards like that I wouldn't otherwise take and then being like, well, alright, this actually worked out rather well. Like, let's let's see, I'm in I'm in green blue, I got a scurrying surveyor, and I get a I get a shoe on fire. Would you splash for that shoe on fire? I would now. I wouldn't have it at the beginning of the format or in other formats. Right. So that's like, so for some reason, that, that, like, that methodology works in, in Dominaria. Okay. Maybe because it's an old set, they're like hearkening back to the old days. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe get all the, all the old, old goodies back. Can we get some uh, combat damage in the stack too? Oh, no. Don't even start with that. <laughs> Well, that, that is putting us dangerously close to out of time. I want to take it in another moment to thank Tommy for breaking bread with me today and, and kind of saving breaking me bro. ours. Breaking bro. <laughs> thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you and your content? The content about, well, just, just let's say all my content on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Iserock. Six letters, I-S-E-R-O-C. Uh, we do have a Twitter, Iserok MTG. Uh, sometimes we sometimes we even post there. Okay. But yeah, come come check out on, on Twitch. That's the best place. 
You also get to see a nice picture of his dog on the Twitter account, so it's it's probably worth checking out. Also, sometimes live. Yeah, sometimes live. Mm-hmm. Um, you can catch my stuff at twitch.tv slash simulant and, of course, the podcast right here on manadeprived.com. I want to say thanks to you guys and gals for listening. We wouldn't have a podcast if nobody wanted to listen to it, so thanks for tuning in. And your homework for this week is to try the bro strategy and let us know what you think, 17 or 18 lands. Uh, you can tweet at Moto on Twitter. You can also tweet directly to myself, Isarok, or Dave and kind of let us know what you think it is in the format. Until then, I'll see you next week, hopefully as your GPDC champion. Have a good one, folks. Bye.